Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. It is back tonight, and I am excited, even though I won't get a chance to watch a whole lot of it. But, yes, NFL football begins. The season begins. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are going to talk some football just because I like to talk a little football, even though I don't know a lot about behind the scenes like I tell my husband I'm like you know I don't necessarily know everything about the whole shebang but you know I like to watch the guys in the helmets run across the field and, and score points so you know I'm I'm all happy so we are pleased to have back with us to kind of do a little bit of analysis on the season uh sports economist Victor Matheson good morning welcome back good morning G uh always happy to be here Always happy to have you. Thanks. How have you been doing? You been all right? Everything is good uh, up here. Uh, again, from a sports economics uh, standpoint, I think one of the really fun uh, pieces of the summer was a wildly successful Women's World Cup uh, with a new winner mm-hmm. there in Spain. Uh, set off a bunch of fireworks in Spain as well uh, with uh, uh, the treatment of, of the women's soccer players. But, uh, you know, hey, leave it to, you know, Hats off to Spain for a, a wonderful tournament and uh, certainly well-deserved winners. So, you know, I want to get into professional American football. But before, you know, we do that, I want to ask you, did Colorado anticipate the impact of primetime? Uh, I I mean, I I think what we've seen is uh, that that has been a a wildly successful hire, uh, regardless uh, kind of of what happens from here on in, right? Uh, It certainly brought a lot of attention back to a program that was that was quite honestly for about ten years. You know, one of the premier programs in in the league in in the league from you know roughly 1985 to 1995 was was uh, you know was challenging for national championships, won one in there, uh, but have been you know just pretty terrible for the last 20 years. And uh, he certainly brought excitement, and we'll see whether he brings more than uh, brings wins too. But that was a pretty exciting uh, win for him, a good, really exciting win for uh, the Colorado program over the weekend. So now um, there's an article, I guess, yesterday on a, in, on a site called SportsLens.com that mentioned that the cheapest game, I mean, excuse me, the cheapest ticket to see the Colorado game this weekend 
is $476, which is twice what you pay for all games last season combined. I'm like, what? (laughs) So (laughs) there is no doubt, uh, right, that he has brought interest back. Again, we had a a program there last year, one, uh, what, one in 11, and and it wasn't, and it was, they were one in 11, but they weren't quite that good uh, is is how bad they were. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, one of the worst seasons we've seen from a Power 5 team uh, in 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 a decade and uh, and wow what a turnaround that is and again it shows the completely different economic landscape of uh, college sports uh, you know in some ways from a, a purely educational standpoint you know it's not great having you know gigantic turnovers and players uh, on the other hand if we treat college sports especially college football the way it really should be treated as you know, professional players coming and, uh, you know, basically being uh, professional athletes uh, uh, in everything but actual pay uh, and not professional students. Uh, you know, this is the sort of thing that, that you can do by, by bringing in free agents and uh, bringing in a coach that, that can use the transfer portal. And, and, and quite honestly, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little sad to see football at colleges not be associated with academics in any way. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, that, that ship has sailed. <laughs> you got places like Alabama and Florida mm-hmm. and Florida State. These are $100 million programs, and, and until just recently, uh, almost none of that $100 million was going to the players, and that, and that, was, always, uh, that was always unjust uh, as, as well as just plain economic uh, failure there. I mean, I, I'm just, you know, just – and I don't really, like I said, I, I'm more of, I like, you know, usually pro football player, uh, you know, season. The But this one thing with college is making me take a second look at, you know, how these programs are run and how, you know, the students are recruited and all that. Because, you know, and, and just it, to me it's just really fascinating and interesting how this one person can have – such a huge impact. They talked, uh, another article talked about how many players signed or that he brought with him, uh, you know, just because he was going there and, and, and uh, it's like, really, you know, there's that much belief in this one person and, and their skills, I guess, or maybe it's the hype because, you know, he's always been about the hype, but Apparently he's put his like they said I guess money where his mouth is. Yeah, I think one of the things that it really demonstrates is uh, a lot of people have been against any moves to further professionalize college football, and uh, mm-hmm. have been extremely worried about uh, if we if we pay players, which of course they're doing a job, of course they should be paid. But if we pay players, there was always the concern that uh, that would lead to competitive imbalance and we'd just have the same teams winning again year after year after year. Um, What's crazy about that argument is, first of all, in the world where we're not paying uh, players, you have the same teams winning year after year after year. Georgia's won two in a in a row and is is right. favored to win this year. Alabama's always there, right? LSU's always there. Ohio State, Michigan, it's always the same uh, players. And what we see here is in a world where there, you uh, know, in, in a world where there are NIL payments, so name, image, and likeness payments. In a world where, uh, you know, you have mm-hmm. better 
movement of players and allowing players to transfer uh, when they want to, uh, you can get more competitive balance, and, and we see that in, in a, a 1-11 team all of a sudden knocking off uh, the, you know, the reigning college runners-up from last season, and uh, it looks like they could do a whole lot more damage than the rest of the schedule uh, uh, based on the sort of talent we saw on that field. Uh, but again, if you allow players to to kind of follow, you know, where they want to be, like like a regular job, uh, this is what happens. Rather than the old days where, you know, all that talent gets concentrated in just a few programs. You know, I mean, it is kind of a mixed bag. You know, you some people like college. You know, have always liked college because of, I guess, the pureness of the sport and and now you've got getting that taken away but then when you have a player that invests so much of their time in football bringing attention to the school and the program and and the neighborhood the community and all that kind of stuff um you know there's a feeling that maybe they should be compensated because they are taking that amount of time um, I, I'm also curious about when you talk about transferring, because I know that when I was going to college, for example, and I wasn't necessarily, you know, I wasn't obviously a football player or anything like that. But when I talked about transferring, because I, I went to visit a friend of mine at Howard University and considered transferring up there, you know, into that program, I, ran, I didn't do it because I was running the risk of losing a year's worth of credits, um, you know, academically and, and spending an additional year in college if I did that transfer. Um, do we, with with the players, do we focus on any of the academic risks involved in, in transferring just for the sake of a football career, especially that maybe a short-lived football career because not everybody gets to turn professional. Uh, yeah, so again, uh, definitely huge academic risk associated with that, which is, I think, a reason why economists like myself would say, hey, these people have a very uh, short window to make money from their skills. Uh, and the fact that uh, a good player generates millions of dollars of revenue for their for their uh, college, but uh, at least historically didn't get to keep any of that themselves. Uh, and there's this short window that very few of those athletes are going to go on to the NFL to to make money. Uh, that, that that of course they deserve to be paid. Uh, and again, uh, uh, I, I am concerned with the fact that these transfer windows. Uh, mean that you have uh, you can, you can have some football players who will have transferred multiple times, uh, multiple schools, never really gotten credits towards a degree and a major mm-hmm. that mesh together in the right way. Uh, that being said, I'm a lot less concerned with that if those players have been making a good salary that whole time, as opposed to those players, again, playing free for universities uh, or for, you know, in order to generate millions of dollars for the university, the administration, or that head coach. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't quite honestly have any concerns 
about a player who spends four years in, in college, doesn't earn a degree, uh, but plays football and makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year every year. Uh, that's a that's a perfectly good way to spend uh, uh, you know four years, uh, and then after your after you've used up your your eligibility, then you can go uh, create a non-football career. Um, uh, but again, as long as those players are actually getting something out of it, it doesn't have to be college credit. Uh, you know, in most in in most jobs, you don't get college credit out of that job. What do you get? You get a nice paycheck and. And, you know, typically that's what I think most people think workers should get. And in, in my opinion, at least, there's no doubt that these, that these student-athletes are, are workers. Okay. All right. So basically, okay, let's get back to, I guess, the NFL program. So that starts tonight with the, um, the Broncos – no, excuse me, the Chiefs and the Detroit Lions. So that's that's tonight. So um what do we look what is let go ahead and prognosticate. What are you looking at in terms of the 2023-2024 uh football season and its well, impact? Well, personally what I'm looking at tonight uh in that uh in that Detroit Lions game is uh, my former student, Khalif Raymond, who is uh, who'll be uh, suiting up as a wide receiver. Not many Holy Cross guys in the NFL, so it's nice to see uh, one who's done well. So uh, that's one thing I'll look for. Uh, it just personally, um, but I think what from is his a, name again? a wider. Let's put it out there. Uh, it's Khalif. What's his name? It's Khalif Raymond. Uh, he's a punt Khalif returner, Raymond. and uh, okay. yeah. So uh, watch for him because because. Uh, He's he's both fast and of course coming from out of Holy Cross he's pretty smart too. Uh, okay. So <laughs> that being said, uh, you know I think uh, from a, a, a business and uh, and economic standpoint, one of the really interesting things that we've seen in the NFL, again just starting in the last year, is we're seeing a, a, another huge wave of of stadium projects being proposed, right? Uh, we had a big wave of stadiums uh, coming in in the 1990s. Most NFL teams are uh, playing in stadiums that have been built either in the early 1990s or later, or at least have had a huge remodeling since that uh, time point. And, and again, we're, we're getting some stadiums now that are uh, where teams are, are are coming to the end of their 30-year lease deals that they signed uh, when these new stadiums were built, so we have a whole wave of new stadiums. We have a stadium in uh, in in Buffalo being constructed. We have a new one uh, in uh, Nashville being built. Uh, that'll be a that'll be a closed roof stadium. That'll be a dome stadium. We have stadium proposals uh, where people are looking for new stadiums in in Denver, in Washington D.C., in Chicago. So uh, from a uh, from an economic standpoint, that's a pretty interesting part of the season. It's also one that even if you're not a football fan, you should be aware of because these stadiums are often involved pretty big taxpayer handouts. So even non-football mm-hmm. fans uh, should pay attention to stadium deals in their cities because they may they might end up paying a, a portion of that price tag even if they're not a football fan. Well, since you're talking about this, because you know, we do kind of have to remember that it's not just the game itself that's impacted. It's, you know, everything around the community and stuff like that. So let me ask you about these deals to name stadiums, okay? 
Is there a, a benefit? Who benefits, really? Is, does that really benefit the business putting their name on a stadium that, you know, maybe maybe the neighborhood notices as they pass by or whatever? Maybe it gets shown on the TV once a week or something like that during a particular season or whatever. Uh, what does the company get out of getting their name on a stadium, and what does – either the the campus if it's college or the city if it's not college what do they get out of naming a stadium yeah so that's a great question so uh, again the research on this uh is pretty ambiguous about whether uh whether companies that that sign a large naming rights deal uh, get that sort of uh, get their money back in terms of advertising and, and future revenues. Uh, so for a big NFL deal, that might be 20 uh, or 30 or even 35 million dollars a year that they're spending putting their name on that uh, on that edifice. So the the biggest one right now in the United States is actually uh, the naming rights deal for Crypto.com uh, Arena in Los Angeles. Uh, that's the former Staples Center where the uh, Lakers play, the Clippers are playing until next year when their new stadium opens, the LA Kings in, in, uh, in, uh, in the NHL. So uh, that's about a $35 million uh, deal there. So it's, the, the research is very unclear about whether the businesses make a lot from that. But we know the people who do definitely make money out of that are the uh, owners of the stadium or the owners of the team. Uh, but most mm-hmm. of the time, uh, most of the time, that even if the city has paid for the arena, there it's very, very common that the owner of the team will get all of the dollars from that naming rights deal, rather than the city itself, who might have put up most of the money for building the stadium. Uh, so it certainly makes the uh, the owners uh, wealthier. It may make the city a little wealthier, depending on how that contract is, is situated. The college that that puts their naming rights on that, they're definitely made better off. Um, Fans probably don't get much out of that, and again, it's unclear whether the business itself that puts their name on it uh, gets uh, a, a big bump in their sales and their revenues and their profits. Uh, but certainly, the people who are selling the naming rights—they uh, are—they are coming out ahead without question. And you can pay for, you know, uh, in a in a big naming rights deal, you might be able to pay for a, a quarter or a third of the cost of the entire construction of a facility just through the sale of those naming rights. So, um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's something you're certainly considering as you, are, uh, as you are thinking about building or rehabbing a stadium is can you get more money for those naming rights in a new facility? Okay. I want to turn now to players. So there's no more Brady at one but place. Um, there's now though, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers with the Jets. So what does that mean? Does that, it does, do those names, you know, really have an impact in terms of, you know, people coming to games so, or, or watching them on television, you know, just, just because Brady's gone, I mean, they still have a whole team of players there in Tampa. Um, just because Aaron arrives in, you know, in New York, there were other players before he arrived. What is, does that impact really mean, you know, does that one change really mean anything? 
Yeah, so star players definitely have an impact on uh, revenue and ticket sales, and, uh, uh, and, and they have that effect uh, in, in two ways. Um, a big name, even before they show what they can do on their field, uh, can have a pretty substantial impact on, again, season ticket sales, single game sales. So, again, when, when Brady came down to – to Tampa Bay from uh, from New England uh, before he even took a snap, uh, we had a huge increase in the number of uh, tickets sold. You know, on that other kind of football, right? When Messi uh, came uh, down to Inter Miami, just south of you there, uh, before he actually kicked a single ball, all of a sudden tickets were were out of sight uh, for people excited to see that. So, the, uh, a star player can have an impact on demand. Uh, whether or not they bring, you know, star quality uh, performance. But where you can really have a big impact is when that star player not only brings their name, but also brings, uh, uh, you know, improved performance for the team as a whole. So uh, Brady did two things. He brought a star, and some people want to come just see the star player, but he also brought a lot of wins for Tampa, and so that brings people in as well because people may want to see Brady, but they also want to see Tampa win. So that's the sort of thing uh, that, uh, that you have two impacts. And, of course, Brady had both of those, brought star power and also brought star quality. And, uh, you know, that's, that's great for the demand. And, and so we'll see what happens with the Jets, right? Uh, so obviously Aaron Rodgers is going to bring a lot of excitement in terms of, you know, interest before he starts. But, again, if he if – he, pilots the Jets to a, to a 5 and, and 12 record, uh, that star power isn't going uh, to mean very much. All right, I'm shifting gears again. I want to talk a little bit about tennis because that's been getting a lot of the attention with um, the Americans in the Open this time around. Uh, so tell me, what, is that, what does that mean? Do, do people actually, because of the fact that uh, there are more Americans that are headed to the semifinals and finals, uh, does that generate more revenue for the sport? Uh, what does that do? Well, typically it does, right, because uh, people tend to be fairly nationalistic when it comes to things like, again, national teams like the Women's World Cup, but also for players. And so Americans tend to want to watch Americans, just like uh, the Swiss want to watch Federer or, uh, or the Spanish want to watch, uh, want to watch uh, you know, Spanish players. So, um, so there is a tendency to do that. And, of course, the United States is such a big media market uh, that, uh, that the U.S. Open or Wimbledon or any of these folks love it when you've got a big American star, again, because that is the sort of thing that – opens up a market and, 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 and kind of spikes demand in, uh, in, uh, in a huge market like that. So, you know, everything else equal, you'd much rather have an American uh, winning uh, 20, uh, you know, 20 plus Grand Slams than a Serb or, or, uh, or someone from Switzerland. And, and so that's exactly, uh, they'd love to see, they'd love to see a, a new guard here include a bunch of Americans. And, and of course, that's the other thing that we're looking at, right, is the, the changing of the guard. Uh, you know, no, mo- no more uh, Serena in, in every final. And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, the three great stars on the men's side, uh, you know, Nadal and Federer and, and Djokovic, all of them are, are aging as well. 
And so the mm-hmm. real question is, what's that new generation? And there will always be a new generation. You know, it's, it's not like we thought tennis was over when Steffi Graf retired or Martina retired or, or Bjorn Borg uh, or, or McEnroe. And so there will always be a new generation. But, uh, and this generation, both on the men's and women's side, have, have lasted a lot longer. We're seeing you know, tennis players playing into their late 30s and 40s in a way we never saw uh, 30 or 40 years ago because uh, the money's better and the fitness training is better and all this stuff. So uh, we're seeing players play a lot longer. And so it's kind of been a while since we've seen a a new star break into kind of the you know the the Mount Rushmore of 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 players. Uh, you know some of those players have been kind of flashes in the pan a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, when is that next Serena and when is that next Federer coming along. Well, it looks like that next Serena might be in the form of Coco Golf. You know, she's boy, she kinda, looks good, you know, doesn't she? <laughs> yes, she she really does, and you know she um, Serena is one of her idols, and she seems to be kind of following in her footsteps a little bit, you know, re- breaking some records and stuff. So uh, we'll just have to see what happens. So yeah, what a fun player she is, is to watch. Uh, yeah, but of course, to be a Serena, it's not about being great at a young age; it's about being great at a young age. And at a little bit older age, and at a little bit older yep. age, and at a middle age, and then at an older age, and then still great, uh, you know, into way into your 30s. So, uh, yeah, some, yeah. <laughs> some great play we've seen so far. Let's see if she can do that for the next 15, uh, and, right. and what, a, what a spectacular career that would be. Yeah, do you have about 20 or 30 more years left in you, something like that? Um, but this is the thing. And I guess this is great if you, if you need to go out and buy an extra TV if you're a fan of both sports. So they're both on tonight, okay, around the same time, which is a little frustrating if you kind of like both sports. And I guess you got to pick and choose or you got to got to go back and forth, which I know that frustrates some viewers in terms of the channel flipping, but um, others, you know, that you know they have have remote, <laughs> you know, will change. So. Um, is there any thought involved when they're doing this type of scheduling in terms of, uh, you know, fan loyalty or viewer loyalty in, in terms of having an NFL game against a women's um, semifinals or finals, you know, or a men's finals, you know? Well, of course, that's the world we're in, right, is that there's only 24 hours a day, and there at this point is almost an infinite amount of sports that you can watch. So, uh, so something's always going to be scheduled against something. And again, if you're not scheduling against the U.S. Open uh, semis, you're scheduling it against Messi playing for Inter Miami, or you're scheduling it against uh, that big Yankees Red Sox matchup or something. So, uh, it, it's pretty mm-hmm. hard. Uh, there's at this point, there's not a lot of uh, empty real estate, right? This isn't the old. Uh, this isn't the old ESPN of the early 1980s where they they struggled to put anything on TV. So let's put poker on, mm. let's put bowling on, let's put anything we can find uh, because there just isn't enough sports to put on. Uh, nowadays, uh, nowadays uh, there's, there's too many sports for everyone to possibly keep up with. And so wow. uh, uh, almost, important, uh, almost impossible to find an empty uh, piece of real estate uh, that you can call your own. I know you got to run. I thank you for taking the time out today. Really appreciate it. You breaking this down. Of course. Thanks and, so much. And 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 good luck with your team here in the NFL. I hope you have a have a good season. 
Uh, yes, yes. And also, my University of South Florida Bulls, rooting for them as well. So There we go. Anyway. <laughs> Take care. Be well. Talk All to right. you soon. My pleasure. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And that was Professor Victor Matheson, College of the Holy Cross, uh, sports economist. And uh, we are going to take a quick break. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. And we will be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Hi there. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we want to, again, thank Professor Victor Matheson, College of the Holy Cross, sports economist, for joining us and kind of giving us a, you know, you know we're going we're gonna to have, there's other stations, y'all, that will do analysis uh, of, you know, the, the game tonight and the season and everything. Uh, but we also, you know, we and we try to do that when we can, but we also try to get a little bit of a different perspective, and, and uh, Professor Matheson is one of those that helps us with that. So who's your team this year? You know, uh, we hopefully we'll talk some more about that. Uh, but also tomorrow we're going to talk about another aspect of the season, which is tailgating with the Diet Diva, Tara Collingwood. Collingwood. She's going to be on with us tomorrow. You know, she's on with us the second Friday of the month, so she'll be joining us to talk about that. We also may have a little bit of extra insight into tailgating next week, as well as some other things. We And don't forget, next week we also have our cardiologist, Dr. Taiwan Tillman, the second Wednesday of the month. He's on with us, so make sure you um, join us then. But anyway, we're going to take off because uh, we want to uh, get on with uh, the business of the day. But thank you for joining us. And if you have any questions or comments, things that you would like to see us interview about, I'm trying to get someone on, by the way, hopefully soon to talk about um, the hazing incident over in Vieira, Florida, and some other um, uh, news of, of importance and of that things that we need to look further into on the show soon. So just keep listening. Thank you for joining us. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. <laughs>